But the king spoke and that's all they needed to hear. Mm -hmm. He didn't have to ask. And they put their lives on the line based on the word of the king. Mm -hmm. And so when we're talking about mighty men and women of God today, it's the same principle. They're people of the word. Hi, I'm Brandon Briscoe, and welcome to another episode of The Postscript, Living Faith Bible Institute's weekly podcast and YouTube series devoted to interviewing pastors and professors from LFBI and across the Living Faith Fellowship. This October, Pastor Kenny Morgan, uh, professor of the Foundations Program here at the Living Faith Bible Institute, and I had the wonderful privilege of going to the Certainty Conference in New Philadelphia, Ohio. Uh, the Certainty Conference is the doctrinal conference of the Living Faith Fellowship. We put it on every year. It's a big deal. We cover major doctrinal topics every single year. Uh, but this year, Pastor Troy of First Baptist Church of New Philadelphia invited us to come and speak about the topic of the next generation. And so Lee Ridings and Code Blaze and Kenny and I, we went and we had a wonderful time. It was a huge honor uh, to hang out with, with that church, with those pastors, with those leaders, and discuss principles from God's word about establishing the next generation of believers in our churches, handing off our, our traditions of faith, our doctrinal traditions, what we believe about the word of God, and how we can empower them to live out the mission daily and further the gospel in this world in the years to come. And so it was a really wonderful time that we had. Now, Pastor Kenny and I spoke specifically about First and Second Samuel, uh, drawing principles from those books about what it looks like to lead and to establish leaders. Uh, we called it A Tale of Two Houses. In one of our sessions at the conference, Kenny and I spoke specifically about the mighty men, uh, the mighty men of David's army, uh, the men that were the elite soldiers, the men that were distinct in their behavior, uh, their commitment to warfare, uh, their ability in war. Uh, these men came to symbolize for us what it looks like to raise up mighty men in our churches today. And so we're going to recap some of that, but then talk really practically about uh, concepts revolving around how to raise up leaders, uh, how to be a leader yourself, how to function as a leader, to think like a leader, to have the heart of a leader. And so with all of that, my dear friend, Kenny Morgan, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. I'm surprised you're not tired of me yet. Man, dude, I can't get tired of you. <laughs> After Ohio. No, it was a blast. We were together a lot. <laughs> we were. <laughs> a lot. Yeah. Are you tired of me is the real question. No, no, no. never. Okay, never, good, never. good. Yeah. I, I always enjoy hanging out, especially on the show. This is a lot of fun. I think this gives people an opportunity to hear like how we talk maybe day to day when you come up. I can hear you coming up the steps. <laughs> and I know Kenny, Kenny's coming up. We're going to sit down. We're going to have a really good, meaningful yeah. conversation. And and so I feel like we get to do that in front of our audience. So it's it's fun for me. It's fun. And, and, and I think one of the things that you and I really appreciated about this most recent uh, ministry opportunity was was just you know the opportunity to to grind together mm -hmm, you mm -hmm. know to kind of lock ourselves in a room and and get together on hey what what is God leading us to do and how do we do that what track do you take what track do mm -hmm. I take and just all of that went into it and then to get to go together and mm -hmm. execute that was a privilege it was it really yeah. was and uh it's so it's so fun there's so much creativity comes out of 
sitting down and saying, okay, what do you want to cover? Now, what do you want to cover? And then letting the spirit yeah. uh, determine how things kind of overlap. I mean, mm -hmm. we, we met and we talked about what we were going to teach, but then uh, there was a lot left unsaid. Sure. I agree. Complimented, sharpened. Yeah. I mean, there's a perspective that, that you bring, that you brought, that enlightened my perspective mm. on a subject that I'm familiar with, but but I just appreciate the angle, some of the things that you see, you point out. I mean, you you just never stop learning and growing. It's for sure it's special. The, the the word is deep, and it is. and First and Second Samuel in particular, I think, are are wonderful books on the topic mm. of leadership. Yes, they are. Um, the principles kind of jump off the page, and uh, mm. I, I want to ask. I want to begin by asking, why do you think that? the Bible um, is such a distinct text on the topic of leadership. I mean, we understand that the the theme of Scripture is uh, a king and his kingdom. Right. Uh, we, we understand the significance of the Bible doctrinally. Mm -hmm. uh, we understand that it provides for us structure for what the, the ecclesiastic body should look mm -hmm. like and, and how it should be structured. And it gives us so much insight that can be applied immediately, but it provides us with so much Principle, why do you think the Bible is so unique in terms of how it teaches us to lead? So anytime you use, you know, terms like king, kingdom, implied in that is leadership, mm -hmm. right? I mean, it, it oozes out of that. Um, I think even if you go back to the very beginning in the Garden of Eden, you know, one of the things that Paul said was he said that, that God first formed Adam and then Eve. Mm-hmm. Right now, that that's not the Bible being prejudiced against women at all. Mm -hmm. It's just pointing to the fact that, hey, there's a leadership structure here. Mm -hmm. So you see it in the very beginning mm -hmm. uh, there in Genesis, right? But then from there, you keep going. You get to the New Testament, and you look at just even in the Pauline epistles, right? You take the books of, you know, Ephesians and Colossians. It's amazing when you look at when Paul is talking about those relationships. It's amazing to see how he addressed everyone. Mm. Right. He addresses wives first. Then he addresses husbands. He addresses children. Then he addresses parents. Then he addresses fathers. He addresses servants. And then he addresses masters. Mm -hmm. I mean, he does it in Ephesians, Colossians. And then you, you see that same pattern to some extent in First Peter chapter three. And so you, you look at that and what is God doing? He, he's showing you not just the structure, but the leadership roles mm -hmm. and how they all function in order, right? And rank. Mm -hmm. Obviously, in the local church, you know, we have two ordained offices, if you would, the offices of, of pastor and, and deacon. And God gives you instructions there in terms of qualifications, in terms of what you're looking for in a leader mm -hmm. who's going to hold those offices. And even in the world, right, God says, okay, I'm going to give you Romans 13 and some other passages to show you that we've got to have structure and we've got to have leadership even in that context. And so if if God has set this up from the very beginning, then God is showing us that leadership is a big part of his plan, mm -hmm. right? And so if leadership is a big part of his plan, then now God is ultimately the expert on leadership. Right. And if God is the expert on leadership, then by default, his word is the ultimate standard on leadership. Mm -hmm. And so there, there's a lot of you know, books out there, hundreds and thousands of them, but they all bow to the Bible because God is the ultimate expert because he put it in place. Yeah. And, yeah. and to that point, I think it's worth noting that one of the problems with the church today is that we have allowed too many outside sources to influence the way in which we lead. 
um, too many uh, pastors are looking to uh, you know institutional franchises mm-hmm. like Disney World and and sure. uh, McDonald's <laughs> and 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 yeah. Chick Fil A for insight in how to lead and and ultimately I think that that's built in and rooted in uh, a desire to get secular outcomes. Uh, more people, more money, more resources, further expansion, greater power, greater influence. These things are worldly ideas, but they seep into our forms of leadership in the church. And that's a super dangerous thing. I mean, what do you, what do you think about that? It's very dangerous. Yeah. It's extremely dangerous because when you're, if you're not careful, when you're, when you're dealing with examining or looking at leadership in the world, so much of it, to your point, mm-hmm. is results driven, mm. right? It's it's performance, and many times it's about the man himself, right? But leadership, from our perspective, it's about one man, mm. and it's not us. It's about the man, right? Right. It's about the name that's above every name, right? And so, from God's perspective, character it matters. Mm-hmm. It, it matters a great deal in leadership, which is why God gives us those very clear character traits of what to look for and appointing someone right. to the offices that we talked about. Yeah. The world will overlook, forgive, poor character as long as you produce. God doesn't. Yeah, yeah. I, I think I really like what you just said because it's, I think it's relevant to a lot of our younger listeners who are considering the pastorate. That Those character qualities that are provided uh, to Timothy in list form are so interesting in that they are character qualities. They're not skill sets. Um, they're not resumes. They're not, um, you know, kind of worldly measurements or even they don't even address, uh, uh, they may overlap, but they don't address directly uh, the skill sets or mm-hmm. giftings that someone might have. And what that means and what that can be interpreted as, as meaning is to God, character is more important than even gifting. And um, God can take a man who isn't even particularly that gifted and right. use them if they're willing to have his heart and his behavior. And so every church might have qualifications, the DNA qualifications that they want to see. They might want to see their pastors are hardworking mm-hmm. or or diligent or uh, you know committed to this or that. They might have things that they could kind of add themselves to that list. Right. But at the end of the day, the list is about character qualities. And at the at a at a bottom line, every man and woman should be striving to achieve those kinds of qualities in their life if they want to lead. Absolutely. And, and and to that point, you know, one of the men that, that we'll touch on today at a minimum is going to be David, mm-hmm. right? And I, I can't think of a more wonderful thing that you could say about a leader than someone being a man after God's own heart. Yeah. yeah so here's sure. a man that, that loved God passionately, had a relationship with God, had the heart of God, which is associated with his character, mm-hmm. right? And so, I mean, that's that's the difference. Yeah. You know, the world could care less if you have a relationship with God or not, or your heart and all that. God God cares. Yeah. Uh, one of the men that we see in scripture, and it, it sharpens me to this day, the first time I read it, anytime I encounter it, is Job. In terms mm-hmm. of what God said about Job, God said he held fast his integrity. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is the God of heaven. This is the omnipotent, almighty God who says about his servant Job that he was a man of integrity, a man of innocence. Mm. So 
those things show us how God views leadership and what he is looking for in a leader beyond giftedness, skill set, zeal, and all those things mm-hmm. that we tend to um, prioritize in mm-hmm. this conversation about leadership. Tell us a little bit why you know you and I are convinced, um, you can speak on my behalf as well, why <laughs> you and I are so convinced that First and Second Samuel provide such a, uh, a density of leadership principles that are valuable to us today. Wow, that's, uh, that's simple, but, but also uh, very deep because mm-hmm. those books together, I mean, they are, I really, we believe mm-hmm. that, that you could write volumes about leadership just from 1 Samuel alone. Mm-hmm. It's, it's that rich and deep, right? But so 1 Samuel, uh, when you're in 1 Samuel, the, the, the focus primarily is on four men. Like you see that very clearly. So we got Samuel, mm-hmm. right? So Samuel is, you know, he represents, you know, the, the end of the judges. So Israel now is transitioning from being under the judges to, you know, ultimately being under, under the kings, right? right? So we, we, we see Samuel, you know, phasing that out and transitioning that in. But then when you look at Samuel in 1 Samuel, you see him in the office of prophet, Mm-hmm. You see him in the office of priest, mm-hmm. and then you also see him as a father. Yeah. So all of those are, are leadership terms, right? Mm-hmm. So he goes on to anoint the first two kings of Israel, first Saul and then David, right? And so now we, we're, we're given a front row seat of the reign of Saul and mm-hmm. his leadership approach, his strengths, his weaknesses that are very glaring. Uh, David is ascending. In First Samuel, you see this this little boy who's growing, and and God is using him, and 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 now he's got to he wins the favor of Saul, and then loses it, and once mm-hmm. he loses it, that changes everything. Mm-hmm. So now he's got to navigate functioning well under authority to please God because he did have God's heart; he wanted to please God, and so mm-hmm. he behaves himself wisely. But my goodness, the lessons that we can learn from that in terms right. of how to keep yourself under authority well, even when that seems impossible, if not unfair, mm-hmm. right? So you've got Samuel, you've got Saul, you've got David, and then you got Jonathan. Right. And what a man, you know, I, I think he, uh, I, I think Jonathan kind of gets somewhat of a, uh, what is it? Maybe he's underrated a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. Right? I can see that. You know, and, and maybe looked at as David's little brother, if you mm-hmm. would, but Jonathan, was a mighty man. He was. An amazing man of God because he had to manage a relationship or or two relationships that were very complex, mm-hmm. right? I mean, his father's the king who absolutely hates his soulmate, David, right. wants to annihilate him, and there's Jonathan in the middle. I mean, that that's not easy. And so the things that we learn about faithfulness and loyalty and steadfastness and obedience and all of that. I mean, you see that in Jonathan, right? So that's first Samuel. And again, there's a whole lot more we, we mm. could say, but but those yeah. four men, I mean, you could write uh, commentaries just on those four men alone, just their lives, right. right? Men have, but then you get to second Samuel. And of course, what started in 1 Samuel with the anointing of David by Samuel in 1 Samuel 16 comes to fruition in the book of 2 Samuel. So 2 Samuel essentially is just a continuation 
of the narrative of 1 Samuel. So where it leaves off, 2 Samuel picks up. And then you see this, this transition, if you would, after Saul dies in battle, this transition from Israel being under Saul to being under David. And so now we see David's uh, ascension to the throne. Uh, we see him ultimately becoming the king over all of Israel. And then we see a number of leaders around mm. him. Mm. A number of leaders. Yeah, so many names in that book that we could just list off and discuss. And I mean, like, and some of them, uh, their their motives were were selfish, mm-hmm. were, were dark, very carnal. And so, and then you look at the life of, of, of David, you look at his reign there, and it, it's amazing just to watch him early on in Second Samuel. But as you as you turn the pages, the the observations, the principles about leadership, they just start to rack up. Mm-hmm. I mean, like page by page by page by page by page. And so so when you look at these books, they they just ooze. I mean, you and I, I mean, it, I promise you, we could identify 500 principles. Oh, for sure. Without blinking, right? Yeah, yeah. So that, that's kind of a high level snapshot of, of why those books are so overflowing with, with leadership observations and principles. And so, you know, just to come back to what you said about David, and I think this is a good place to start because we're going to be conversing today specifically about the mighty men yeah. and um, how the mighty men were developed, uh, what was their character, what did they hold to in terms of character, and what are the things that we can glean from them they would help us in terms of our own development, our our understanding of of the faith, our understanding of the mission. I really wanna drill down on that with you today. So this will be primarily a Mighty Men uh, conversation. And so just to begin and and just to give a brief recap, at the conference, I was responsible for uh, talking about the development of the Mighty Men. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, you mentioned that, that in 1 Samuel, that we can watch David's development from a young boy up into adulthood and into leadership. And and he exemplifies deep faith from the very moment that we see him. And we see him, uh, you know, uh, going up against Goliath yeah. and, and then coming into the kingdom and um, being a captain of the army and having wonderful um, submission to his king, uh, being a man of the people. Uh, going in and out, uh, the people adored him and, and sang about him. Now, then he gets thrown into the wilderness. He's he's you know uh, called a, tra- uh, a traitor. You know yeah. he's he's guilty in Saul's eyes of treason, uh, simply because of Saul's jealousy. Yeah. And so we see David out in the wilderness and, and struggling. And so this is kind of where our, our narrative picks up. And and what we see is the things that David learns. He kind of learns with his mighty men. Yeah, you know the things that he learns in terms of leadership, he learns as a direct result of leading this band of brothers in the wilderness. And so, uh, you know, David is kind of all alone and on the run, and he goes and he hides in the cave of Agilom. Mm-hmm. And there his family comes to meet him. And then with them is a, a, is a group of about 400 men plus some family members. And these men are, you know, the most... You know, it's, the Bible calls them distressed and yeah. discontented and indebted, and so these are these are the outcasts of uh, the the nation of Israel uh, of society. They mm-hmm. didn't belong. They they were not looked at highly. 
Uh, some of them were men of war. Some of them were probably just farmers that were learning war for the very first time. Yeah. And they knit themselves to David from the very beginning. And David almost immediately calls them into battle. And they go they go and battle in Kela, and they fight against the Philistines and protect that city and have great victory. And it's this first kind of monumental look at what God can do with us if we apply ourselves to the mission. Mm-hmm. And then from there, um, him and the mighty men, he and the mighty men uh, do many different exploits uh, throughout uh, the, the, the Philistine territories, uh, providing for uh, the nation of Israel, especially Judah, providing for those, those villages and townships mm-hmm. of people, providing them with resources, uh, functioning as mercenaries. Yeah. All these wonderful stories arise out of that. Um, so much to say, you know, go back, go back and, and listen if you have time. But then we, we kind of come to the place in 2 Samuel mm-hmm. where we see them doing exploits on behalf of David as the king. Yeah. And we get all of these character qualities that are listed in 2 Samuel. Um, and so let's, let's kind of begin there. Um, that's kind of the part that you, that you taught yeah. about. Just give us a high-level overview of the mighty men, and then we'll drill down on some of the principles that you presented. Sure. You said something that I think is is so uh, pertinent to this discussion. And when you describe the condition or the state of these men when they when they came to David, mm-hmm. right? I think sometimes, and if I'm honest, as a leader, I, I have had to overcome this myself in that, you know, um, people aren't going to come to us as a finished product. No. Right? I mean, you know, Jesus you know, from the beginning, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. They weren't fishers of men at that time. Mm -hmm. It was something that he had to invest in and develop in them to get them to that point. And so I I think what you what you described is it reminds us of our responsibility to make that investment, that that developmental investment where you're working with something very raw, mm-hmm. but but they're there. Yeah, one of the things that I mentioned in my teaching was yeah. that that you've got what God's given you in terms of men, right? And so yeah. if these are if if in your church um, there's a ragtag group of of men that are underdeveloped, maybe they haven't had all the training that they need, but they've knit themselves to you, they've gathered themselves to you. Yeah. Um, in your cave, in the cave of Agilum, if you will, yeah. and, and they're there for you in your darkest moment. These are these are the men that God's given you to develop, um, and I think that's really easy to overlook. I think it's easy to look outside and say, "Well, you know, this church or these pastor friends of mine, they have these resources and these gifted men." And and I think all of that is irrelevant. What has God given me is the, is the real question. And I'm, am I willing to make the investment? Sure, absolutely. So we we fast forward in the book of Second Samuel, and we 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 land in chapter twenty three, mm-hmm. which begins with the last words of, of, of David. So those first seven verses walk us through that, and then in verse eight, you you now get into a description of the mighty men. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting because you think about, okay, these are the last words. So whenever you read something like that, your antenna raises because whatever is going to be said next is of significant importance, right? Mm-hmm. And so the fact that 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 David now is is speaking about these men speaks to not only um, who he became to them, 
but who they became to him, mm-hmm. right? In terms of, of what they meant to him, mm. um, what they represented, right? He understood that. I mean, we, we understand that success is always plural. Yeah. David knew that. Yeah. Those men were an integral part of his success, right? And so, and so you, you see that, and then you, you get into the first three men that are mentioned. These were the mightiest. Mm-hmm. And you hear what was spoken or, or written about those men, and you see what they did. And some of the things that, that we unpacked was the first one was, was that, that mighty men, and we could say mighty men and mighty women now if we're, if we're, if we're looking For at sure. it in this age. Yeah. Uh, they're people of war. Mm-hmm. They they are, and and they're just like they're just like their leader. Mm-hmm. So right. So one of the things that we 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 read in First Samuel, uh, back in in chapter seventeen, uh, with Goliath, where David says, "Hey, look, wait a minute. Is there not a cause? Yeah. Like, no. There there is a reason for us to go to war with this mm-hmm. Philistine. Mm-hmm. That there is a cause, and and these men." were of that same heart. Yeah. There was a cause. Right. Right. And so they were men of war. One of the things that Paul mentioned twice uh, in his epistles was he he mentions this phrase, good fight. Mm-hmm. Right? Good fight. Right. And and so mighty men and women of God, they're going to embrace the good fight. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the things that he told Timothy uh, was to endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ, right? Back back, back in the pastoral epistles, right? Second Corinthians chapter 10 and Ephesians chapter six speak about the reality of the spiritual war that we're in. And so what you're gonna see when you look at mighty men and mighty women of God is they put on the whole armor of God every day yeah. and they fight the good fight. That's how they fight. Um, they're not in the dark about the reality of spiritual war. It's not imaginary. Mm-hmm. It's real. They understand it. And so these are men and women who are going to war over the cause or causes of Christ. Mm. They're going to war over the things that matter in these last of the last days. They're going to war over a true gospel. They're going to war over the issue of the preservation of Scripture. They're going to war over the issue of sound doctrine. One of the things that's amazing when you think about the pastoral epistles, as short as they are, Mm -hmm. you see this word doctrine mentioned 17 times in those short books. Mm. I mean, we live in a time where who cares about doctrine, right? right? The church is just throwing it out the window. Well, mighty men and mighty women of God, they care very much about doctrine. And so you you see these men and, and you see um, the the battles that they fought and you see how they fought and you can make those same spiritual parallels to mighty men and women of God in the church age who 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 wore as valiantly as they did physically. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think what you're you're saying is wonderful and inspirational, but I love that it's also practical. Mm-hmm. So. You know, for our listeners who are saying, well, I want to lead, you know, I want to be a part of that next generation. We have so many young of our, our listeners on the show are young. So many of our students in the Bible Institute um, are, 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 are fairly young in their faith. Um, but we even have, you know, elders who are, um, you know, physically older people who are 
also just now for the very first time determining like, look, I, my, my life has to be more than just my job, right. more than just my family. I have to have an eternal impact. Um, and so people who are coming to this realization say to themselves, well, how do I become a person of war? And, and you frame that so well. Well, be about the things that God is about. Mm -hmm. be, be about uh, the causes that God has presented before us. And so that comes down to valuing his word deeply, mm -hmm. right? Um, cherishing it, mastering it, yeah. which I think we'll hit on a little bit more. Mm -hmm. um, uh, caring about God's people, uh, souls are so important to God. They're so important to God. And he, he's given us a method for engaging in warfare right. in the New Testament dispensation, the church age, that looks like preaching the gospel and, and going to the least reach and going into dark places and, and being willing to open your mouth, even when things seem to be uh, you know, uh, dangerous or difficult, or there's a potential for rejection, um, learning to speak up, that's warring a good fight. That's, that's uh, committing yourself to the things that God cares about most. That's 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 important to him. Absolutely, but you said something, and and I, I I wanted to just touch on it very quickly, and that is, if someone is asking themselves, how do I become a man or woman of war? Well, that question is actually very telling, because subconsciously, what it reveals is that maybe we don't realize that we are at war, mm -hmm. right? When mighty men and women of God, they understand and they recognize the reality of this war, yeah, that they're in it, right? And so, because I'm in this war, I, I'm either I'm either functioning as a victim or victor. Mm -hmm. And that's the difference between mighty men and women of God and those who aren't. Mighty men and women of God, they're functioning in this war. They're fighting this war from a place of victory. Yeah, They're standing in who they are in Christ and operating from that perspective. Mm -hmm. If you're trying to figure out, well, how do I do this? Well, yeah, that that's a problem. Yeah, yeah, it's it's yeah. interesting though. But so so many of us, I think it's an issue of revelation, mm -hmm. uh, and I think it's an issue of conviction. Yeah. So there's so many believers that are standing on the battlefield, but because they don't have eyes to see the bullets whizzing past their head, they don't have eyes to see that there are um, spiritual enemies at work in mm -hmm. the world. Um, they just forget, they just ignore it. And they, sure. they kind of wander around, meander around the battlefield as though that's not mm -hmm. where they're at. It's, it's a strange reality to live in. And so what we need is the revelation of God's word, yeah. the revelation that the church is the military uh, force that God has used that, that to, to weaponize and to, to send out into battle. But the other thing is conviction. You know, you spoke about cause. Um, so many people can see the warfare intellectually, but they don't have the conviction in their heart to mm -hmm. engage. They don't, they're not, they're not yearning for victory. They're not yearning for, um, you know, uh, delivering the captives from the enemy. Mm -hmm. And so there has to be a conviction in order for there to be good warfare, for, sure. for someone to actually uh, move forward in faith and, and, and fight that good fight that you referred to. You know, if, if uh, I, I think a, a profitable exercise that, lets you know that uh, we're, we're in a, an intense war is just go evangelize. Mm -hmm. Every time I evangelize, it hits me how real the war is. Mm -hmm. In the moment, you know you are on the front line, you are on the field, mm -hmm. 
and there are grenades and bullets. There is warfare happening in that moment. I can go from having a nice, pleasant, cordial conversation with someone, and then I see an opening to steer the conversation to the gospel, and immediately the temperature changes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you yeah. can feel it. Yeah. And that battle starts. Yeah. And so, you know, I would, I would, I would just let anybody know, like if you're evangelizing and you're trying to make disciples indeed, mm. the reality of the war is reinforced. Yeah. And yeah. I think our hearts grow so cold. Um, I, I really like what you're saying uh, because um, I think there a lot of people dismiss uh, you know what we would refer to as like confrontational evangelism, or the or the or the practice of engaging with people that you don't have a relationship with, people on the street, people at the grocery store, and sharing the gospel uh, from a Christian impulse. Um, and I think that that does a lot. Choosing to do that, like this morning, I believe there's going to be a team uh, going out and doing some mm-hmm. street evangelizing and inviting people to Bible study, and they're going to be uh, from our church that are going to be engaging with lost people. This is a very scary thought, mm-hmm. and a lot of us recognize that it might not even always be the most effective form of evangelism. But choosing to go out deliberately and engage with people for the gospel's sake does something to uh, thaw out the coldness of our heart and awaken us to the reality, just what you're talking about. So even just as a practice of, of obeying God, like I'm going to be very deliberate mm-hmm. today from 10 to noon to go, to, to go and obey God by evangelizing right. people that I don't know, just the choice to do that, the choice to say yes to the Lord can do a lot to make you an evangelist by nature and teach you what it means to engage for the gospel's sake uh, every single day. For sure. And I, and I think this, this conversation, again, it, it's there's a number of ways we can take it and mm-hmm. there are a number of things we, we can talk about. But the, the thing that I find to be both troubling and very disturbing as we understand in these last days, you know, the church of Laodicea, we understand the character of this church, right? But when you look at, you know, this this term Laodicea, we mm-hmm. understand the meaning of it, you know, justice of or rights of the people. Mm-hmm. And here's where it gets troubling and so very disturbing is because in these last days, in this lukewarm church, you have believers who will be people of war mm. regarding politics right. and things like that. Yeah. They'll fight and war over those things. Mm-hmm. But mighty men and women of God are not fighting about and over those things. Yeah, They're fighting about the causes of Christ, the yeah. things that we've talked yeah. about. So, Let's take a moment right here to hear from Pastor Mike Renault of Living Faith Boston. Hi, I'm Mike Renault, pastor at Living Faith in Boston, Massachusetts. And if you're considering learning the Word of God, Living Faith Bible Institute would be a good place for you. The good thing about LFBI is that you're not just learning from an academic standpoint. You're learning from actual practitioners that do, in fact, know the book. These are pastors and men who are leading churches, doing the work themselves, since they can give you a firsthand real life knowledge of what it means to learn the Bible in that context. Some of you may have a call in your life for the pastorate uh, to be a missionary, to serve the Lord in other parts of the world. Living Faith Bible Institute can prepare you in a way that you can be equipped with the Word of God and given practical tools, being held accountable in your ministry right where you're at. If you're interested 
in learning more or you want to enroll in LFBI, go to lfbi.org. And to that very point, I think it leads us, you know, you, you talk about the mighty men are people of, of war, but you also, the next uh, principle that you present is that mighty men are people of the word. Yes. And I think what you're talking about is really important and a great segue into that topic because there's so many Christians that become experts in, um, you know, the, the Republican National Convention and the debates, and they 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 know their their content well, and uh, or uh, they become experts in their favorite, you know, um, conspiracy theory, or or and they and they dig down deep and and they understand those things with a level of depth and conviction, and they and they live within that conviction. But then you ask that same person, who have you shared the gospel with this this month, this week, you know? And it's a it's a completely different reality. And um, so what it reveals to us is that people are getting their their causes are coming from other places than the word itself. Yes. And that that's why mighty men have to be people of the word because the word of God informs our behavior and our conviction uh, at every turn. Yeah, mighty men and women of God, they dance to the beat of the drum of the Word of God. Mm -hmm. That's it. Yeah. And it's beautiful to see. So so in this chapter of 2 Samuel 23, you, you have preserved for us one of the most incredible, amazing stories of devotion and faithfulness that was the result of the Word of the King. Mm -hmm. It's amazing. So in this chapter... Uh, we, we we get the account of, so let's just kind of recap just a little mm -hmm. bit to back up to, to help yeah. us see how we got to this point. So in 2 Samuel chapter 5, David becomes king over all of Israel. So not just Judah, but the nation as a whole mm -hmm. embraces him as king. After that, he he takes Jerusalem from the Jebusites under the leadership and of Joab, who, mm -hmm. who conquered that. Um, and then, so the Philistines, they, they get word of what's happening in Israel. Oh, wait a minute, you know, David's the king now. And so they go in the Valley of Rephim and they go to battle. They go against David twice. They yeah. attack twice, right? Mm -hmm. So that's where we, we find David now held up. And three of his mighty men, his not just mighty, but his mightiest men mm -hmm. come to him, uh, which is a... It just shows you their heart for him. Right. Wherever he was going to be, they were going to be. So they come to him. By this point, you have to understand that 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 on a number of levels, uh, David is exhausted mm -hmm. emotionally, mentally. Um, all he's known for years is war and battle and conflict, and so here he is in this cave and in, in, in another battle. Mm -hmm. And and with his mightiest men, and he's you know I guess we could say he's just he's doing what you would do when you are in the company of of family mm -hmm. and close friends. He right. just speaks out loud and, yeah, and he, sharing his heart, sharing his heart, just like you and I would mm -hmm. do, right? Mm -hmm. On an airplane together, or sitting in your yeah. office or mine, which mm -hmm. is those times when um, one of us are hurting, mm. right? We're hurting. And uh, and and you say, man, I'm just beat. And I say, hey, you know what you need? You need to take a walk to Quick Trip. <laughs> and yeah. we're, gonna, we're gonna get some checks mix. Yeah, yeah, some yeah. fresh air. 
right? Yes, yes. You remember that? I do remember that's that. Right? Yeah, that's right. That. that was good. Right? You yeah. Know? So, so that's that's the scene. Mm-hmm. And so, what what David um, what he expresses is is he he expresses his desire for a drink of water from the well of Bethlehem home. Mm-hmm. Right? It, it 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 wasn't he wanted the water, yeah, but but it was what that represented. Mm-hmm. It represented comfort. It represented peace. It represented family. It, it represented, a, you know, relaxation and the opposite mm-hmm. of his situation. Mm-hmm. So he just says that. He he never asked them right to go and get him that. He just said it. Yeah, speaks his heart. And these three mightiest of the mighty, uh, surrounded by. Philistine garrisons between where they were and this and this well of Bethlehem mm-hmm. that was about 15 miles away. Mm-hmm. The likelihood of them being able to go and get that water and come back without engaging in battle was yeah. slim to none. Right. He knew it, they knew it. But the king spoke, and that's all they needed to hear. Mm-hmm. He didn't have to ask. He just spoke. Right. And they put their lives on the line based on the word of the king. Mm -hmm. And so when we're talking about mighty men and women of God today, it's the same principle. They're people of the word. And it goes back to what we're just talking about. They're not going to, they're not going to throw down and and double down on what some, some political social uh, rhetoric. No, no, no. It's going to be, the word of the king. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It, it, that's what they're going to be about. Right. That's what they're going to give their lives to. And so, and so you, you, you read up a little bit before this and you get a visual of what that looks like. One of the men yeah. that is spoken of, and this is, this is one of the uh, most beautiful pictures in the word of God of a man or woman or mighty man or mighty woman of the word, mm-hmm. Eliezer. Mm-hmm. Right, who who has his sword, man, and he's slaying Philistines. And I don't know if you've ever held a, a, a real sword; it, it's not light. Right, it's heavy. Mm-hmm. And 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 this brother, man, is throwing down and slaying Philistines, and he's getting weary, mm-hmm. but he won't let go of the sword. Right. Yeah. I mean, it was one with his hand, Eleazar. And the sword were inseparable. Right. And that's the testimony of a mighty man and a mighty woman of God is when it comes to the word of God, they're inseparable. Mm-hmm. You can't separate them. Yeah. They're all about, what is it, Psalm 119, 128? Um, uh, I esteem all thy precepts to be right. Mm-hmm. I hate every false way. Mm-hmm. They're all about the book. And then after that, you you get another guy named Shama, and he's He's fighting and he's defending this piece of ground of of lentils, right, from the Philistines. Mm. And you say, well, man, why is he, this dude, Colonel, does he really like his lentils so much Mm -hmm. that that he wants to fight over some lentils? Mm -hmm. No, the bottom line was that territory belonged to Judah. Right. And so he was defending the truth. Mm-hmm. That's what I'm saying. Mighty men and women of God, when the dust clears every time, they're going to land on the word of God. That's what they're going to be about. And, and this is what we get. This is one of the gifts that we get 
when we make disciples mm -hmm. indeed, and we mm -hmm. look at that second goal, at least here in, in, in our culture, that second goal of discipleship being to see them established in the word of God. Mm -hmm. That's what it looks like to me right. when someone is established in, a word, in the word of God. It's those three men. Uh, I love the parallel between a thirst from the well, yeah. right? And the sword of the word. Mm. Um, we know that the, in scripture that the water uh, represents yes. God's word. And so here we have David is thirsty for it and the men are willing to fight for it. Yes. Right. Um, and then and then we have these examples of men like Eleazar who are, are cleaving, they, they clave to their sword. Yeah. Um, you know, when I, when I think about the young men and young women, uh, young in the, in the Lord who are desirous to grow in their leadership, um, I think it's really important for us to define what it means to fall in love with the word. Mm. I think a lot of us um, have been trained to take shortcuts. You know, uh, you know, you think about most of the education in the world today. Um, it's gotten easier. It's gotten more accessible. Um, it's more ubiquitous. You can go anywhere to mm -hmm. learn anything now. Uh, it's cheap. Education's cheap. Uh, cheap, not not uh, financially, sure. oddly enough. Uh, but cheap in terms of the content, um, it's hard to to trust. You know, there's so many different, there's so many false teachers in the world. Uh, there's so many bad teachers mm -hmm. uh, that find themselves in the pro profession. Um, I think it's really important for us to define biblically what it means to grow in your knowledge of the word of God. And I think that begins with discipleship. And I think it's the very reason that we have the Living Faith Bible Institute is yes. to provide access to both the introductory things of what it means to be a believer, to commit yourself to the foundational truths of God's mm -hmm. word and establish yourself in the work of his ministry, that introductory form of discipleship that only evolves with time. Yeah. Um, and the Living Faith Bible Institute is built to provide supplement, educational supplement to the work of the local church. And so whether you're in Vietnam or Nairobi or or Ohio, or Alabama, or wherever you might be in the world, uh, you can commit yourself to the work of the local church. You can you can engage in that in that lentil field. Mm -hmm. You can fight your enemies. You can your your pastor can kind of lead the charge and guide you and mentor you along the way. But then, if you're you're thirsty for deeper things, LFBI is there to provide you with education mm -hmm. that supplements and comes alongside the work that you're committed to and the accountability of your local church and. And I think that um, that a lot of our our, our growing leaders, um, a lot of times, I think people want to do the work, but they don't they don't have a thirst or a hunger to go deep in the Word of God, to learn the deeper truths, to let it inform them at every level, to let it to sink, let it sink into their subconscious, let it be you know writ on the palms of their hands or on their eyelids. That, that it's. It doesn't go that far. Mm. And I think it's problematic. If we're going to develop leaders that don't really, really know the word, it puts them in a very compromised position. And, and I want to ask you about that. Wow. That's really heavy. And uh, I, I personally, I can go, it's like, do we have an hour? <laughs> <laughs> to that person that you're you're describing, okay, I would I would encourage anyone like that to spend a lot of time with God in the book of Proverbs mm -hmm. for this reason. Proverbs tells us that there are three things that we have to have. 
we tend to prioritize just one of them, mm. and that's knowledge. Mm-hmm. But he says you got to get wisdom and understanding. Yeah. And when you get all three of those, what it produces is it produces a love for the Word of God. Mm-hmm. So here's here's one of the things that we're seeing right now. Okay. If and you you just interviewed Mike. And yeah. we're aware yeah, Mike of, Renault of Living Faith Boston. Yeah, exactly. Right. We're aware of his situation. Mm-hmm. Um, we should be praying for Mike and and make sure we're open to support Mike any way that the Lord would have us to. So if if Mike did not have a love for the word of God, this is a different situation mm-hmm. and a different conversation. Yeah, it's very true. If he wasn't an Eliezer. It, it, he he's not cleaving to it. He's going to let it go, mm. right? Well, because he's going to capitulate, right? Mm-hmm. Why? Because that's that's easier. Let's yeah. just, okay, I yeah. can't get thrown out of here, right? Um, so one of the things that I shared with our foundation students recently is is the reality that, and, and, and you can mark it down, you know, in in ministry, at some point, the devil is going to make you an offer for the truth that God's given you. Mm-hmm. That day is coming. And, and Mike, Mike just experienced it. Mm. Like, I'm going to make you an offer. E- either, either, either you cave or, or you're out of here. And really the offer was just, if you just give me that truth in exchange, I'll give you a building mm-hmm. so you can meet. Yeah. Here, here are the terms. Right. Yeah. And so, and so you have to, you know, what was it that that compelled Eliezer to cleave to that sword the way that a man cleaves to his wife? It was his love for the king. Right. It, mm-hmm. it, it, it's just, I can't, I can't fell the king. Yeah. I can't let the king down. Mm-hmm. And so, and this, this kind of segues into the, the next care, um, uh, our observation about mighty men of God, but if you don't love the Lord, if you don't love him, which you you get that by just spending time with him mm-hmm. every day. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. Where, where this becomes the most cherished aspect of your day, getting to be a Mary, where you get to sit at his feet and you get to hear his word. There's no sound like that sound. Mm. There's no comforting effect to the heart like that. And so if you're not operating from a place of love, love for the king, love for his word, you're only going to go so far. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I agree. And just to, to draw a little bit of a parallel to, to the more you know physical, temporal um, reality of the situation, um, David was their king. Um, God was their God. David was their king. He was their physical leader mm-hmm. on earth. Um, and our our young leaders also have a physical leader in their churches, and um, I think it's important for them to have a, a, a compulsion to love their pastor Absolutely. and submit to them. And so, because they're submitted to the Lord, they're also submitted to the authority structure that God's put into their life, and and it becomes of of great importance to them. And and so, I, I think it really is uh, critical to for the next generation. Um, you know, and I and you know, working with young people myself, I I often see that this is a real 
area of difficulty because so much autonomy and independence has been given to each successive generation, yes. right? And we live in a, in a, a day and age where there is um, fear of submitting because um, it's, it's unknown, right? They're, you're out of control. You, you, you don't have the independence that you, you desire. And so you find yourself in an authority structure and, and, and suddenly you're kicking and, and, and fighting against that. And it's very difficult for people uh, to find um, a love for the kings of their life. Uh, for their pastors and and to to submit and I think it affects people's ability to engage and um, and so I, I wonder what you think just in terms of how this speaks into yeah. the relationship between growing leaders and the the leaders that they have in their in their life. So one of the hardest things about doing these interviews with you is you you ask these questions and I'm, I'm thinking. I'm like, man, I've, how much time do I have? I'm throwing curveballs. You don't have much. No, this is great because I'm like, this is rich. Like yeah. there's so much to talk about sure. here, right? So this actually, so I really appreciate you bringing this up. This this circles back to, to something we started with in terms of just from the Garden of Eden. Mm -hmm. and, and we established just, you know, what we were doing there was establishing the value that God assigns to spiritual authority. He yeah. does. And so I, I think we, we have to say this, okay? You, you can't love God truly and not love the man that he's put over you. Mm -hmm. You can't mm -hmm. say, I love God, but I hate my pastor. Yeah. Like, that's just, you don't love God. You, you, you don't. Ask Miriam and, and Moses, right? You, no, you, you, you can't do that. And so it, one of the things that God has helped me with so if if I can if I can be transparent mm -hmm. this is my second stint as an associate pastor uh in terms of if we if we say full-time ministry mm -hmm. okay my first stint I was under a pastor on Long Island uh for for some years I grieved the spirit of God greatly and um I was not the helper that I could have been and should have been under that man mm -hmm. because I didn't understand the premium that God places on spiritual authority. I didn't get it. And so what God did was he used that experience to teach me something, and it is this. There can be no true spiritual progress without submission to spiritual authority. Mm. It, it, it just, it's, it's not, and listen, even if you're right, and David shows us this, right? Yeah, for sure. In 1 Samuel, Saul was dead wrong. He was right. out of his mind. Yeah. But David says, that's, that's God's man. That's, yeah. that's the Lord's anointed. I, I, it's not my place. Mm -hmm. God will deal with him, right? And so, Wherever you are, whoever you are under, if you want to please God, if you want to move forward spiritually, humble yourself yeah. to that man, love him, serve him. God will be glorified. Mm -hmm. People will be edified, including that man. And, and God's going to grow you and develop you, but you cannot move forward 
if you are despising authority mm-hmm. and challenging it and mm-hmm. bucking it every way, mm-hmm. every step of the way, you, yeah. you just can't do it. And so these men, they exhibit a submission, a loyalty, a devotion to the king yeah. to the point where if, if what we need to do calls for putting our lives on the line, then that's what we'll do. Yeah. And to speak to the pastors, you know, who may be listening or the leaders that may be listening, uh, the established leaders, you know, on the flip side of that, David was the was the the greatest warrior yes, he was. That, that I that I can find in scripture. Yeah. And um you have to believe that that the mighty men's ability to warfare was directly related to engaging in battle with the king, with David. These men, you know, didn't learn to fight this way on their own. It didn't come naturally to them. They were trained in the way of warfare. They were they were trained. You you can imagine them um, in respite, uh, practicing, uh, you know, with sword battling mm-hmm. and and learning different techniques uh, of, of movement and, and, and engaging in war from David himself. And I think it's so important for our pastors to understand that they have a responsibility to train those men and women uh, who come into their ministries and are are hungry for the word of God and they're hungry to know more and they're hungry to engage with all of their flaws and all of their weaknesses, it is our responsibility to make the investment that turns them um, into people of the cause and uh, and shows them how. Yeah, and you're, you're now touching on something that we spent some time at the Certainty Conference discussing. And, and that's this issue of access. Mm-hmm. And, and that, you know, one of the things that we talked about at the conference was, you know, we, we can't make leaders from a distance. Mm-hmm. And the pulpit can't be the sole instrument for training leaders. So you and I are, man, we, we are blessed because if there's one thing that we have with Sam Miles, mm-hmm. our pastor, is access. Mm-hmm. And... I mean, we we are with him. He's with us. We're in in the room with him in more ways than yeah. one. Yeah. Um, we 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 have his ear. He has our ear. We've got his heart. He has our heart. Um, we spend quality time with Sam mm. outside of the pulpit and yeah. and teaching venues. Uh, some of that time is 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 in a in a pastor's meeting. Some of that time is one-on-one behind closed doors. Some of that time is eating Japanese food and working through an issue. Uh, some of that time is is on an airplane traveling. Mm-hmm. Some, I mean, we, it, it's access. Yeah, yeah. And, but the things that I think you would agree, the things that we glean in those moments, you know, there've been times where I, not long ago, I was sitting at Sam's house eating um, his, I think it was Cheryl. She made some biscuits and gravy. Are you kidding me? Yeah. <laughs> Bro, they were insane. Yeah. Like that's their specialty over there. Oh, forget it. Yeah. So we're eating biscuits and gravy. And, and sometimes I can be with Sam for hours and it'll just be a statement. It'll be something that he'll say in passing where I go, oh, wow. Yeah. Thank you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that just filled in a blank for me, mm-hmm. answered a question. Uh, you know, yeah. oh, so that's how you handle that. Yeah, yeah. When we were at the yeah. conference, we were we were walking into the building and and there was a young man that came up to us. Yes. Who, you know, confessed to us that he believes he has a call on his life. 
and he desires the office of the bishop. And he doesn't know what that looks like. He doesn't know if that's church planting. He doesn't. He doesn't know yet. He hasn't. None of those blanks have been filled for him yet. Right. Um, and he was just asking us, so what does it look like to move forward from this moment? And um, certainly, you know, we encouraged him that he needed to express this calling to his his pastor and to have that conversation. That would be one of the first things that you need to do um, if that's if that's the true burden of your heart. But then um, also we encouraged him um, because he doesn't know the timetable on his calling that the best thing he can do is simply be in proximity to yes. his pastor, to to be his shadow, to be nearby, to watch the way in he, that he engages with people, his tone, his tenor, uh, the 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 words that he says, the knowledge that he expresses, the counsel that he provides, um, and and really become a student. Uh, maybe not, not not much needs to be said. Uh, maybe you don't need a question every five minutes. Maybe you don't need to text him, you know, late in the night. Pr sure. Probably don't do that. Those things don't make the the burden of ministry any greater for him. Right. But strive to lighten the burden, and strive to know him, know yeah. him at the heart level. Yeah. And I think those are all really important things to engaging your calling and get the training that you need. So, and this is one of the questions that you and I encounter, mm -hmm. it, you know, along the way when we're having this conversation. But a lot of times, you know, men who are under a pastor, they're trying to figure out how to help him. Mm -hmm. Like, man, I don't know what he needs from me. I'm not sure what to do. So as you pointed out, you know, so here's David and these men come to him. Okay. So proximity, they're close. Yep. And because they're close, they realize, oh, I see an opportunity where we can help him and serve him. Mm -hmm. You just gotta be close. Yeah. You gotta keep yourself in proximity. And right. if you're there, God will show you exactly what he needs from you. Mm -hmm. And it'll be an honor, as much as it is an honor for us, when, when the Lord shows us a way that we can be a blessing to Sam, we can help Sam, serve Sam. Not that I'm, I'm not tooting our horn or bragging no, on no, us, but, but man, for the glory of God and the edification of the man who has given us more than we can ever give him in return mm -hmm. combined, mm -hmm. we're going to be willing to try and move heaven and earth to just like these men did to, yeah. to serve their king. Yeah, absolutely. And again, yeah. all of that feeds into the glory of the, yes. true, the true king. Absolutely. Right. Um, this is, this is a work that, 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 um, plays into the kingdom agenda and that brings glory to the Lord. And so, um, you know, with all that in mind, uh, mighty men are people of war. Mighty men are people of the word. Mighty men love their king and mighty men embrace unworthiness. Explain that to us. So let me just very quickly touch on the, the third one in terms of mighty men um, loving their king. If, if we don't get these first three down, then all we're going to do is entertain ourselves about living the Great Commission. Mm -hmm. We'll go to conferences and we'll spend thousands of dollars and, and countless hours entertaining ourselves. But to, to go ye therefore, to, to go to the ends of the earth, to, to risk maybe our very lives like these men did. We're not going to do that unless we are people of war, people of the word, and we love our king. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. If, if, if that's not who we are, 
yeah. then not only are we not, we're not going to evangelize. Yeah. <laughs> we'll be ineffectual. We're just going to play church yeah. and hold services, okay? Mm-hmm. But the last one, so it, this this is, uh, this is I, I feel unqualified to even speak on this because it's so rich and deep and so beautiful, right? I mean, mm-hmm. who am I? So these men risk their lives. And I mean, think about it. Like, it, there had to be a closer water source, right? Right. Closest <laughs> well, water's 15 miles away. Are you serious? Okay. But that's what the king wanted. So these men go and they, they battle, they fight, they break through, they, they get the water, they get back. They present it to them. They had to be covered in blood, right? Mm. Sweat. Yeah. Had to be tired. You know, this this wasn't five minutes. <laughs> okay. Um, man, he's, it's, it's going to be something to watch our king. Like, hey, we love you. Enjoy it. Mm. And and David just, just pours it out. Yeah. And because of the reverence they had for him, they wouldn't have been disrespectful. Like, what are you doing? Right. Yeah. They would have been curious, though. Like, what? At the end of the day, David was so overcome. He recognized their devotion. He recognized their sacrifice as only God mm-hmm. is worthy of this. And that's what he was doing. I promise you, up until that point, he would have taught them a number of things mm. on the battlefield, some of the conversations that they had, because they had access. But I promise you, that moment was the greatest teaching moment that they would have ever been exposed to with him. Yeah, that's right. Because in that moment, as great as their sacrifice was, as great as their demonstration of devotion was, in that moment, what he was telling them was, it wasn't, this isn't about you, and this isn't about me. This is about him. Mm-hmm. And that's the thing, you know, when, when we say, when we use a term like mighty men, it sounds very impressive. It sounds very elite. It sounds like these are people who are a big deal and they know it, but actually they don't think that way. Mm. Mighty men and women think just like David did. Mm-hmm. I'm not worthy. Mm-hmm. And, and that's the thing, and it goes back to something you you were talking about in terms of 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 loving of loving the word and 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 things like that. At the end of the day, the moment that you get over the fact that God even pays attention to you is the moment that somehow you've taken a worthy turn. Mm-hmm. I, I it it it. it Again, I go back to, was it Psalm 8? What is man that thou art mindful of him? Who who am I, God, that you're even mindful of me? Mm-hmm. I, I'm, not, I'm not worthy. The, the fact that, that, that I can be called a son of God, like that God is my father, that Jesus, man, I mean, in his omniscience, knew and knows everything about me. Every dark thought, act I've ever done. And to take my punishment, man, 
to to make me to sit together in heavenly places, to make me a joint heir. Like I, man, I know, I know who I was, and I know who I am in the flesh, man. Mm-hmm. So I, it, 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 no, we're not worthy. Yeah, yeah. And and so that's why that's why these men. It would have been an honor for them mm-hmm. to die. This was, in their minds, this was a no-lose situation. Either we go and we die trying to get this water, right. or we go and we get it and we bring it back. Either way, we... <laughs> wow. So Yeah, I, and I think what you're saying is so important. This was a display of worship before the Lord. But, but I, I think this is important for us to remember is that, is that humility and pride are two of the most contagious things within the church. Yes, they are. That's good, man. When, when, a, when a pastor or leaders choose to be humble, they, through their display of their behaviors, their form of worship before the Lord, because we know there's two types of worship. We, you know, Jesus tells the parable of, you know, of the publican and the, and the rich man that were both praying. They're both praying before the Lord. And um, one had a form of worship that was crude and vile, but broken, and it was honoring to the God and honoring to God. And the other had a form of prayer that was pious and arrogant, and um, it was displeasing to the Lord. In our churches, we can display both. When leaders are proud, the congregation is proud. When leaders argue and, and are contentious and are divisive over things that aren't important. Uh, that is contagious to the congregation. Uh, people pick up on that, and they also begin to exude those things. Mm-hmm. But if a pastor is humble and low and forgiving and gentle and meek um, and worshipful and, uh, and, and, and they behave uh, in a Christ-like manner, people pick up on that. And David displays this form of humility. It's no wonder that his men... Yeah wanted to do feats for him. This is who he was. He deflected all glory to God and made himself low. Uh, he was a man of of great worship, a man of the heart of God, but also a man of the people. They could relate to him and they wanted to behave in the way that he behaved. Um, and it produced this kind of loyalty, but also produced, it was a gospel message that day. Yeah, nice. That pouring out that water, that was a gospel message to all of his men from all these different backgrounds and races and 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 religious traditions that they were coming from when they gathered to him. Um, he reminded them yeah. who Jehovah was. Yeah. <laughs> you know, this is this is this is my God, and he deserves this, and I want to lower myself before him. I am unworthy. Thank you for pointing that out, and because it it reminds me and it challenges me, because we we always say this. Everything reproduces after his kind, right? Mm-hmm. And so we have to be these things. Mm-hmm. We, you know, and I think one of the things that we have to guard against is, you know, this uh, this celebrity big deal type persona that that can so easily find its way into mm-hmm. the pastorate, right? Yeah, it's terrible. Um, we and so we got to make sure that, hey, man, I that that the men that I'm privileged to walk with and lead that 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 they see me pouring it out to the Lord. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. That it's about him. So. Yeah. yeah. Kenny, thank you so much for this time. 
Um, I'm grateful for you. Um, is there anything you want to leave us with before we close out? Just grateful, uh, grateful to the Lord, grateful to our pastor, Sam, for supporting us and allowing us to go to First Baptist uh, mm -hmm. in, in New Philly to certainty. So special thanks to Troy and, yeah. and his team. Wonderful hospitality, wonderful, hospitality. wonderful conference. Everybody should go, whatever, whatever the topic is next year, yeah. just plan on going. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, thankful to uh, Lee and Code uh, for mm -hmm. just the four of us working well together from the start, it was about God's glory. Yeah, uh, every man was selfless, willing to support, help, do whatever. Mm -hmm. It was it was really a wonderful, wonderful opportunity. I'm just grateful. Yeah, to, me too. To have been a part of it and to be able to share it with you, it was mm -hmm. it was sweet, man. So much fun. Yeah. So thank you, Kenny. Yeah, I appreciate you. you. Yeah. And we want to thank you for joining us for this episode of The Postscript. Um, if you have an opportunity, we want to encourage you to go back and uh, visit the Living Faith Fellowship Conference uh, podcast platform, where the sermons from all of the conferences that we do, uh, Discipleship Conference, Certainty Conference, Mission Focus, uh, all of them are there, and you can listen to these sermons uh, about David and his mighty men and training leaders. You can hear Lee and Code, uh, wonderful pastors, wonderful teachers, sharing uh, from what God showed them about training the next generation. But we want to encourage you to do that. We also want to encourage you to go talk to your pastor about what it looks like to lead in your local church. There's always things to learn. Certainly, your pastors have uh, thoughts and, and opinions about what it looks like for you to take the next step, and they can give you great insight into what that should look like. Um, also, we want to encourage you, uh, if your pastor is willing, to let you join Living Faith Bible Institute. We want to invite you to hang out with us and, and learn the deeper things of God's Word, deeper things of ministry. Visit lfbi.org if you want to learn more about our school and what we have to offer. $40 a credit hour. Uh, all of our professors are pastors and missionaries and, and men of the book. And so uh, we think that we're unique in that way. But we love you and we're grateful for the time that you've spent with us today. And we can't wait to see you again next week for another episode of The Postscript. God bless. Thanks for listening to The Postscript. If you enjoy the show, please leave us a rating and review in order to help other people find our podcast. If you value this show, Please help us continue creating content by supporting Living Faith Bible Institute at lfbi.org support.